Cowabunga dudes! Uh, hey there, it's Kevin Eastman, co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and you are listening to Grail Hunters Australia podcast with my friends Neville, Ben, and Michael. It's awesome. It's gonna be the best show ever! Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Greylancers Australia podcast. In a few short weeks, I will be traveling to San Diego Comic Con, where I'll be hosting a panel to celebrate the 40th anniversary of some of Australia's best comics and the creators behind them. In my preparation for the panel, many of the great creators behind the likes of teams like Southern Cross, characters like Dark Nebula, Jackaroo, Flash Domingo, Plastic, Nightshade and The Rock, all took time out of their schedules to chat with me about the story behind the stories. I recorded these sessions and found them too valuable to keep to myself. So with the consent of the creators, I will be releasing them over a number of short episodes so collectors and readers passionate about the books and the stories can enjoy them as much as I did. As mentioned earlier, this year marks the 40th anniversary of some of Australia's most significant creator-owned publications, comics and characters. And now, 40 years later, we're experiencing quite the renaissance. All our favorite teams and characters are making a comeback, and the doors of the Australian comic universe built in the 1980s will be swung wide open and shared with a new generation of Revere superheroes. In this episode, I'm talking to Tad Petruszowski, an Australian comic writer, artist, and publisher who created The Dark Nebula, as well as co-creating The Golden Age Southern Cross Superhero. Tad was also one of the anchor members who created Oz Comics, as well as Cyclone Comics, back in the heyday. And now, 40 years later, with the 40th anniversary of the Dark Nebula, Tad is also leading the comeback of this universe, with Dark Nebula 9 and 10 published in short succession and 11 and 12 already ready to roll. Well, that's enough from me. Let's jump straight into the episode. All right. Um, so obviously, thanks for, thanks for doing this. Um, let's start with the first question. So Dark Nebula being being the first character you created as part of the Cyclone universe, um, did you ever think it would lead to where you are now 40 years later? Absolutely not. 40 years ago, I just wanted to tell this story. I mean, Dark Nebula was with me ever since my dad brought home a comic for me to read when I was like five or six years old. And back then I knew I didn't want to just read comics. I wanted to write them. I didn't want to just write other people's comics. I wanted to create my own. So my lifelong mission from when I was reading my first comics was to come up with my own character and from literally from the start of my schooling till i completed college i was developing the dark nebula yeah so so the dark nebula we see now it's not the way it started it evolved to the character it became (laughs) oh god no it went through uh because i mean even the cover i mean your your graphic novel slash first issue is 40 years old it still looks and feels like the same character so obviously up to that point, there was a, an evolution or a change in the character. Absolutely. Look, there was a completely different costume, which if I wanted to, I could dust off that, that costume design and introduce a different character with that costume. But the thing was, I, I was looking at what I was doing as I was developing it during school. And I knew that it seemed like a clone of this or a clone of that. And I thought, no, 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 I want this to stand out. If I wanted it to resemble anything else i may as well just read what it resembled i wanted it to be unique i I needed it to be unique otherwise people just say oh you're just copying other people's work which is exactly when i set out to make it distinct yeah 
So what what came into the composition of it? That why why did you pick the character or the the layout and the costume and the way the way it's presented today? Well, um, as far as characters that I was inspired by, um, I loved characters like the Green Hornet or the Lone Ranger, and I wanted him to be the something something. So the Dark Nebula um, came to me. In fact, reading Avengers issue 94, when the Super Scroll said, by the Black Nebula. And I thought, that's interesting. And yeah. that, got me, that got me researching. I researched Dark Nebulas, and I thought, Black is a bit stark. What about Dark? And so he, was, he became the Dark yeah. Nebula. And there's, there's a bit of science in it because dark nebulas exist in space and all the rest of that. Uh, as for the costume, when I got to the pointy end of things designing the costume, I went a complete 180 against all other design um, elements at the time. I mean, instead of the underpants on the outside, I gave him a tunic that, you know, the folds went a different way. Uh, instead of having gloves, he had um, uh, sleeves that billowed out. And in fact, when he flies, particularly if he flies in space, um, he they billow like solar sails, so to yeah. speak. Okay. Things like that. So uh, there was so a, there was, was a bit of thought, right? Yeah, it it had to be something different because, and also the coloring. Look, I, I went through different color schemes. In fact, at one stage, I can tell you now, the dark nebula was primary colors: red, blue, yellow. But I thought, no, every man and his dog's red, blue, yellow. So I went with red, black, and white, which wasn't common at the time and wouldn't start being used until something like uh, Star Trek The Next Generation about a decade later. Mm. So, yeah, I, I, I guess I, I like to be a little ahead of the curve in whatever respects I could be. And his power, um, uh, basically what his powers were, I mean to uh, he he needed to have something that no one else had he had access to the well of souls uh the spark of life that you know that, that keeps us going it's meager and when we die power, energy cannot be created or destroyed merely transformed and that's why uh with the laws of conservation and energy i thought well it's got to go somewhere now individually yeah. it's meager but collectively it's devastating and yeah. that's what he has access to. Yeah. But, but what about the, let's call it the internal, internal conflict that comes with the fact that, uh, you know, he's, he's got his own persona in his head, but he's also got all of this and they don't necessarily always get along or, or are in agreement in terms of what those action, actions are going to be as the next step, whether it's in a fight or a decision that needs to be made. Well, the, the internal conflict comes from having an alien warlord renting space in his subconscious, yeah. and that's the, uh, that's the flaw that's in there. That's the struggle he's got. So he's not, um, you know, he's not omnipotent. Uh, he has uh, battles of his own. And if anyone was to say to me, what is the Dark Nebula's greatest weakness, I can sum it up in one word, doubt. If he doubts himself, he can't do it. And that's something anyone else can relate to. And if we overcome that doubt, then we surpass it, which is why when I released the darknebula.com online, 
I found that it wasn't just an Australian comic. I had people internationally um, uh, getting in touch with me saying they enjoyed it, people in Italy and all the South, South American countries. Mm. So it showed me that there were universal themes in yeah, there. Yeah. So, you know, I, 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 can only, I can only do what I do from my own little corner. And, and like I said, 40 years ago, I just wanted to tell that story. And if it went nowhere, at least I can say I did that. Uh, yet it went a different way, which was great. And yeah. I am grateful for that, you know. Yeah. So, so yeah. how did, talk, talking about 40 years ago, how did that first issue you released or the first, first book you released um, lead into the actual first issue of the comic series? What, what, what did you... What, what triggered you to kind of redefine it or retell it in a different format? Well, I went through different uh, phases. At one stage, I was even pitching it as a Sunday comic strip to the uh, Sydney newspapers, and it was being seriously considered by at least two of them. Um, it came down to the last one and the crunch, and I got pipped the post by Judge Dredd. They went with a syndicated rather than a local. Yeah. And... Because that didn't happen, I thought, right, well, time for me to do this graphic novel. And it was 64 pages. I did, uh, after I had finished the script, I literally did a page a day. I did everything, you know, writing, illustrating, uh, lettering, inking. And to go from blank page to uh, completed page, it was a page a day, although I would do two facing pages in two days. So I made sure that those facing pages complemented each other mm. and that's how i worked and it was it took me about five months to complete the book um in total uh, obviously 64 days of that was the artwork and you know literally uh in a couple of months time or in fact by the time this um this airs at um san diego it is in fact the 40th anniversary of the dark nebula mm. That's amazing. Eh? So yeah. what, what changes did you bring into effect between the first issue and the first book? Um, was there, or was it just a general extension of the story that you laid the groundwork for? Well, pretty much like when I finished college, I had completed the story mm. as a novel and I very diligently left it on a train. It got left behind and all that work i had i thankfully i knew every word so i just rewrote it yeah it was just a pain in, pain in the backside but i just sat down and i rewrote it because i i i'd taken my concept to the fat farm when i was at art college for three years uh in my free time that's what i did and actually it, it went through various iterations when i was doing the school certificate um in 1975 I did. I, I actually laid out the ideas initially, and that was very primitive. In 1977, when I did what we call here the higher school certificate, it took on a different form, and I still have that words and pictures from that year, and it was in another form. And when I look back on that, I go, oh, my God, this is bad. <laughs> so in those three years at college, I literally tore it down. I, you would not believe the amount of times – I tore it down and built it back up yeah. so that, you know, it would be the best it could be. I thought, is this useful? No, it's superfluous. Yeah. It's gone. You know, yeah. so much, so much had, had literally been thrown out. So much wound up on the um, cutting floor. 
yeah. uh, so to speak. Interesting. Yeah. It's interesting that you, you're never satisfied with the end product until it's published and you can't go back. <laughs> well, that's right. <laughs> and look, is, you right? know, we are our, our own worst critics. In fact, looking back in the original graphic novel, I like to think that I catch everything, but there is one error that's still in there, apart from the fact that when I look back on it, I think, gee, I'd like to have gotten Michael Golden to illustrate this. And believe me, he was my number one choice at the time because yeah. of the work he was doing on Micronauts. But yeah. tyranny of distance and not in lines of communication the way we have now, it would have been great to have him, but yeah. yeah. Uh, and he may not even have said yes anyway. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, so so how did it lead you to, I mean, the Oz comics and Cyclone comics and um, moving in into the, the let's talk, talk called the, the Bronze, Age, Bronze Age era of the Australian comic family, where all the creators got to know each other and started working together in a cohesive manner towards the same outcome. How did that well, happen and when did it happen along your journey? Funny you should say that because, as I mentioned a moment ago, tyranny of distance, back then, there was no social networking as we know it now. Yeah. Uh, the uh, first person I was in fact in contact with, and this was going back to when I was at school and he was at school, was Glenn Lumsden. We used to trade comics with each other and he'd show me his artwork and I told him that this was something I was going to work on and all that sort of thing. And so we, we were just mates showing each other stuff. Um, I had Paul Power staying at my house at Tempe at the time. And he was working on uh, Airhawk and the Flying Doctor and Professor Om as Sunday strips, which is where I got the idea of pitching the Dark Nebula as a Sunday strip because I had seen Sunday strips being made yeah. and being published. And those were the first contacts I had. Now, um, in terms of the networking following on from the graphic novel, in Sydney, there used to be a, a comic shop called Comic Kingdom run by Steve Smith. Now, as I was working on The Dark Nebula, I'd been trading comics with Steve Smith since 1975, and he knew I was doing The Dark Nebula because we were you know, well and truly mates by then. And Gary Challoner, who is the, the, um, the, the backbone and the heart of Cyclone, came into Comic Kingdom one time and asked Steve off the cuff, do you know anyone who is doing any comics? And he said, yes, I do, as a matter of fact. Now, the story that follows is hilarious because Gary got in touch with me through Steve and the night that Gary came over and I was trying to tell him about Dark Nebula, the graphic novel was at the printer's. Every shred of artwork was at the printers. I didn't even have a sketch of the character with me. And yet here I am meeting this new guy and we're talking about doing comics together. He wanted to know about my comic. And literally my whole presentation was verbal just as well. I was working on a career in radio at the time. Yeah. And I, I simply didn't have an image to yeah. even shown to back up what I had to say, but, the, the book came back from the printers about a week or two later. And I said to and Gary, back here, it up <laughs> here it is. But from that point onwards, that's when Cyclone started. Yeah. I should point out that in my, um, in the, the fan mail I got for that first Dark Nebula book, I did get a, a letter from a 12-year-old Jason Paulos who wanted to know everything I could tell him about putting comics together. Well, I did. I wrote everything I could tell him about it. 
And despite that, he still managed to um, leap ahead with his own stuff. And he's best known for his work on things like Here But the Hippo and any number of other projects. Yeah. In fact, currently uh, working on The Phantom for Fruit Publications yeah. here in Australia. Um, but as a 12-year-old kid, he wrote to me. And six years later, he was then the next series artist on Dark Nebula. So wow. eight, age 18 or so, he, um, he literally stepped on following on from Glenn Lumsden, same stuff, different day. Now, after Gary and I um, had first connected, we were trying to work out what it was we were trying to put together. And I brought Glenn Lumsden in on it. And we sort of, you know, were seeing any number of other people as well. Mm. And literally the fourth uh, main ingredient then followed in the form of Dave DeVries. So you had Gary, Dave, Glenn and myself, um, literally our own Fab Four. I mean, mm. there has been that comparison made as well, although we don't put those tickets on ourselves. Yeah. And that was literally the start of Cyclone. Sure, there are other things happening, like Dave had um, had his first appearance of the Southern Squadron in Oz Comics 1 and 2, yeah, and that was the and following then, year from yeah. the Dark Nebula graphic novel. And that grew but, out of there see, into the Southern Squadron. Yeah, there, there, was a, there was a lot of synergy that, that happened, mm. and literally the four of us were the nucleus, and I guess you could say the fifth Beatle was a fellow named Alex Grancher who did a lot of inking work, some penciling, and you know he, he was pretty much there or thereabouts. So the, there were, there were um, four core members, but the fifth um mm. fifth core member sort of slightly um in or out one one yeah. one foot in one foot so out did so that, did, at that point in time did that lead you to doing other work that's not not dark nebula related the funny thing is i literally after having the first book released and leading up to the release of cyclone i started my career in radio and that was a you know, a 30-year career at, at best. Um, I started off in Alice Springs, then Inverell, then Innisfail in far north Queensland, Wagga, and uh, and eventually I um, found my way in um, Sydney. But in those years that I was going hither and yonder, you know, literally making myself the Zeppo Leyland, the lesser-known Leyland brother, um, I... Uh, I, I, I was still in contact with the, the rest of the guys. So the rest of the guys were holding the fort with Cyclone. There was my inventory material of Dark Nebula, which they were integrating into the books, into the first seven issues yeah. or so of Cyclone. And then when I finally got back to Sydney or the outskirts of Sydney, um, out in um, uh, Penrith Way, uh, that's when literally it came to the point where that um they decided they were going to expand cyclone so that the cyclone title from issue nine would be the southern squadron and the yeah. dark nebula would get a brand new number one well the first issue the number one uh came out and is now highly sought after and then from issue two onwards i was able to pick up the ball because i was pretty much there um able to work closer with glenn because glenn was the artist on dark nebula issues but did dark nebula made, make appearances throughout prior to that issue one yes well there was the graphic novel yeah the original graphic and then novel after that before issue one. cyclone yeah 
issues between um, issues one and seven. Uh, yeah. In fact, the story that appeared in Dark Nebula One was a, um, a rejigged version of the story that appeared in Cyclone okay. One, Two, and Three. Yeah. So there was, you know, the, the, the character was very much a part of the Cyclone anthology, as was yeah. my other character, the um, the Southern Cross. The, sorry, the Golden Age Southern Cross. Yeah. Uh, this was a character that I came up with and I handed to Glenn Lumsden and he ran with it. He yeah. literally ran with it. He, he gave it its personality. He breathed life into it because I wanted the Southern Cross to be as different from the Dark Nebula as day is tonight. And I said to him, you know, you have, you've earned co-creation credit on this because of so much you've put into it. Mm. Whereas the Dark Nebula was something I, I created entirely on my own. I'm the first one to say, you know, uh, Glenn, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, you co-own this. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great, man. So, so the relationship to, with the people behind the, the stories at that point in time, um, obviously, like you said, you, you guys did get along like the Beatles um, and it probably very likely organically grew from there too. Like I'm, I'm very sure that that team would have grown significantly as you expanded the books over the time because you moved from the one book to three or four. You know mm, what I mean? That's right. Well, we, we had quite a few titles uh, at one point. I mean, mm. there was G.I. Joe Australia. There was the Jackaroo, um, the Quarter Acre Kids. There, there were, you know, and that's right. There was an Airhawk special that was released at one point under the Cyclone label. So yeah. there were a few books that were released. But I, I've got to say, wh where I grew from Cyclone was that I realized that I was a better writer than I was an artist. And I found that working with artists, it actually pushed me as a writer. So for argument's sake, I think the, the lights really came on for me with Dark Nebula 3 when Glenn Lumsden turned in some absolutely ball-tearing pages. And I looked at it and I thought, look, I could probably turn, I could do one of two things here. I could probably turn in a very mediocre... Uh, Jerry Conway type script, or I could really go to town here. I opt I decided for option B, and that's when I really grew as a writer, and I never looked back since, because you know th there's so much in comics that you can pick up and say, yeah, this is part of the mediocrity, this is part of the mm. dross, and yeah. then there's that part that you go, oh yes, this is why I'm here. Yeah, and I really wanted my stuff to fall in the latter pile in the yes this is why we're here pile and yeah. people ask me what's the one thing i can hope to impart upon someone else trying to get in and i always say look if you're a writer number one rule if you feel like you're coming within range of a cliche spin it on its ear that's the best i can i can offer anyone because yeah. if you're going to do the same boring lazy stuff that you've seen other people do people are not going to remember you they're just going to thumb through it and it will just be forgotten yeah but you give them something to remember and it'll resonate something yeah. something in the back of their mind will always come back to that and they will have fond memories yeah so dark nebula one to eight came through thick and fast after after you started right and then obviously you had a bit of a uh, uh, hiatus um, up to a few few years ago. Um, what made you pick it up again? What made you say, let, let's 
let's pick this up and let's have a go. How did social network and ability to you know, digitally print and things like that um, motivate you to pick it up and keep going? Well, interestingly enough, um, back in 2003, I was on my way to work at a Sydney radio station when I had a near-fatal car accident with a horse. And I was laid up for months. I mean, my jaw was busted. So a radio announcer with a busted jaw, I let you do the math. Mm. And while I was lying on a gurney broken and really broken because my face looked like I'd been tackled by uh, the, the basic of the front row of a football team, and I would get my face back eventually. I could joke and say that I used to look like Robert Redford, but I'm not going to, I think lies only go so far. <laughs> but, but seriously, um, I realized this was an opportunity for me to go back to my comics because Dark Nebula had been out of the limelight for uh, 10 years at that stage. And I contacted Gary via email because I couldn't speak. My jaw was wired. And I said, look, I, I'm looking to launch the Dark Nebula on a, a, on a website and make it, make it known internationally. And literally, that was my one-stop shop. Gary came along and he pretty much did all of the tech work that needed to be doing, done. He did the design. He did everything. I mean, literally, I, I, I owe a lot to Gary Chaloner. Yeah. And so over the next couple of years, we were fine-tuning it and getting it ready to be um, available on the web and as a web comic initially and then we were going to release uh, trade paperbacks and and whatever now um, uh, I, I knew that the earliest stories um, were I don't know they, they, they needed a bit of freshening up so we did a, a reintroduction of the dark nebula a new version of the origin and literally the first two stories got a fresh coat of paint, so to speak. And that was released in a graphic novel called Origins. And uh, yeah, so what happened was the Dark Nebula was under, under construction, so to speak, for the next couple of years. And the same year, the, actually the same month that the website was launched was the same month that the State Library of Victoria um, launched their um, their exhibition Heroes and Villains uh, about Australian comic characters and their creators. And I knew that they wanted the Dark Nebula to, to be a part of it, but I had no idea they were going to make him the centrepiece. And when I realised that they were using this iconic image of the Dark Nebula from issue six, the cover for issue six, which was a Glenn Lumsden, Dave DeVries cover, as as their rallying point so to speak i thought i've got to go down there for this exhibition and just as well i did uh there were a lot of creators who came down from new south wales for that exhibition including paul wheelahan who did the panther and the, oh, uh, the raven, raven. yeah that's right and also um oh, look there, there were there were a few australian a uh, few new south wales creators down there and when I went there for the, um, the, the, the early opening, when they had the media going around before the general public were allowed there, I rounded a turn and there was this white wall, except for this larger than life reproduction of this, of the cover of Dark Nebula number six. 
and that told me everything I needed to know. Now, couple that with the fact that I had the suit remade and we got one of their interns to walk around. That was a comic yeah. literally coming to life yeah. and all of the Melbourne media got shots of this guy in the dark nebula suit. That night, by the way, when all the Melbourne Mafia media uh, creators were there, yeah. uh, they all came up to this guy in the dark nebula suit thinking it was me because they knew <laughs> that I wore the suit when I was younger and sillier. And this guy didn't know who the hell they were or what they were who talking these about. People? <laughs> and of course, there I am wandering around incognito. And uh, yeah, so they got to meet me, but they didn't meet me the way they thought they, yeah. they were meeting me. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun that night, but yeah. it, it told me a lot about the Dark Nebula's place in yeah, pop culture as it was. Uh, I should point out that a few years ago, uh, following on from all of this, I did a, a mini documentary, which is on YouTube, by the way, called The Death and the Life of the Dark Nebula. And it's all about the cultural impact of the character uh, here in Australia. And, uh, and even one aspect of it uh, is in the form of the music playing underneath, because you know that there's a rock band who call themselves the Uncanny X-Men, and there's the Veronicas yeah. and any number of other groups. There's a dance music performer on the mid-north coast of New South Wales or the far north coast of New South Wales who calls himself Dark Nebula. And mm. I contacted him. Naturally, he got his name from seeing one of my comics on the newsstand. Oh, that's awesome. And so all of these little things, all these all these tiny little threads that are there. It's little footprints, I, right? Yeah. Well, that's right. And it just shows that it's it's more memorable than landfill. And that's a line I use I like to use a lot. In fact, even one thing I wasn't even aware of till a couple of months ago, I was watching uh, the classic Australian TV series, The Flying Doctors. Well, you know, there were a lot of it I, I missed and I just had it on while I was working on Dark Nebulas 11 and 12. And lo and behold, in this one scene, uh, this mother tells the kid in the hospital, I'll read your comics. And I thought, comics, I wonder what's here. I looked up and the first thing I noticed was the King's Comics ad for the back cover. And I thought, oh, I wonder which one this is. And it turned out it was Cyclone 7 the dark nebula nightmare story yeah, so yeah. yeah i i was pretty chuffed about that and i i shared shared the backside off that one as well so yeah. th there's even pop culture references that even i wasn't aware of when yeah. when i was doing all of that but having said that i'm not putting any tickets on myself i just i'm just aware of yeah. That there's the significance and a legacy that's creating, yeah. No, well, that's there, right. Uh, and, and that's the thing, man. 40 years, that's a few generations of readers and people engaged. Um, and 2021, you just ramped up again. So issue 9 and 10 came out, and it's just picking up speed moving forward. Uh, well, do you, do you want to right. recap from issue 9 forward? For well, me? actually, if I could just go back just a little way, back to the, the release of the darknebula.com, and the graphic novels that I released, there were colour trades that were yeah. uh, printed through Kablam and released through IndiePlanet.com in Florida. And uh, they were there were five dark nebulas, one of the Golden Age Southern Cross and two of the Southern Squadron. Because when the darknebula.com was being hosted on Web Comics Nation, which is probably a stroll down amnesia lane for a lot of people, I was running um, pages of 
the Dark Nebula, the, the Golden Age Southern Cross and the Southern Squadron and keeping the Southern Squadron in people's um, yeah. minds. So yeah. in, in that, I guess you could say that between 1992 and 2021, right in the middle there, around 2007, 2008, that's when those trades were released, which reminded people that these characters are um, yeah, a force to be reckoned with. And they proved very popular too, by the way. But going, moving forward to 2021 and the release of Dark Nebulas 9 and 10, yes, absolutely. Mm. I, I guess for there, there was a period of some five years or so that Gary Challoner and I were talking about you know, continuing the the Dark Nebula. Now, I thought I was going to continue doing colour trades. And he said, look, one quick way of getting books out there is continuing the numbering from issue nine of the ongoing, because it did stop at issue eight. Yeah. And then when we have enough material and we get it all coloured up, then add to the colour trades, which also sounds you know, appealing to me as well. So we're at the black and white stage now. And yeah. I guess you could say as a legacy thing that um, people can slot in issues 9, 10, 11, and 12 with their 1 to 8, which they probably thought there's never going to be a 9. Mm. And now um, at the moment, I have issues 11 and 12 on the computer and they're complete. The only things I have to do with issues 11 and 12, because it's a two-parter, uh, is complete some covers and editorial pages and ad pages yeah. and the books are ready to go and yeah. they'll be released a couple of months apart as well and then yeah. there's issue 13 and issue 13 is well let's just say the number says it all that's a nice little horror story which nice. um i'm i'm pleased to do so that's the thing with dark nebula because he has elements in superhero sci-fi and and the supernatural the character glides between all three with uncanny ease and not being forced in any way see some some people think oh let's do a horror story for this and it doesn't quite track well guess what anything tracks with the dark nebula yeah because that's his yeah. wheelhouse yeah and the move to Riviera too with issue with the recent issues and moving forward right um like working working together with the Southern Squadron guys and, and the projects you have planned for the next year. Is there anything you want to share about that? Absolutely. Getting, getting the Beatles back together? Yeah, well, pretty much. There's, um, well, there's two prime uh, Cyclone crew members working on the Dark Nebula and the Southern Squadron as a miniseries. And I believe that issue one should be out around the time that this will be seen. Uh, and this falls squarely on the anniversary of Dark Nebula's 40th. Now, the thinking yeah. between the Dark Nebula and the Southern Squadron miniseries is very simple. It's 40 years since the Dark Nebula this year. It's 40 years for the Southern Squadron next year. And so both uh, lots of characters get a, a decent bite of the cherry. Mm. This year, the Dark Nebula basks in the glow of his anniversary. Next year, it's the Squadron's turn. And the the thinking basically is let's review the, the origin of the Dark Nebula, but integrate the Southern Squadron with the scenes in between. There was a lot of retconning and a lot of MCUing that we did 
for the story without throwing the baby out with the bathwater. But guess what? Here's the fun part. If anyone's going to do any retconning, it's the creators of the characters. Dave and I worked very closely on this and we both signed off on everything. Every decision we made, uh, however big or small, was a very organic, not forced uh, alteration. And people will see that the original story is in there, but we've just added elements that people may not, you know, wouldn't have been aware of because let's face it, let's take the, let's get the Wayback Machine. 40 years ago, the Squadron wouldn't be released till 1983. I wouldn't know Dave till 1984 or 85. So naturally, uh, this is an opportunity to do that. And the beauty of this project is if anyone goes, oh, but these characters have been around for 40 years, how am I going to catch up? Guess what? They can catch up with this graphic, you know, with this mini series. They yeah. can read this and go, okay, we start here. You know, the, the old "you are here" type thing, yeah. and and that's so. What's the mini series called? It's the Dark Nebula and the Southern Squadron, yeah. and it it is uh, it's being done by Dave, uh, Shane Foley, and myself. Shane Foley being my current and um, consistent artist on dark nebula shane by the way also doing work for through publications and phantom mm. so yeah we've got the a team on it and that's the important thing yeah um, moving forward from all of that uh, i can tell you that the the next story i'm dying to have shane work on with me is a sequel to a story everyone's familiar with with the dark nebula which was the trial of the dark nebula this, type, this story I've simply titled Vondra, and it's meant to take the Dark Nebula in places that he would never want to go. And he's pretty much rooted from the start, and yet he's got to find a way through. Yeah. So me as a writer, I, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to working on this because I'm excited about conceiving the story. I'm dying to script it. And I can tell you now, I've, I've seen the first half of it paced in art, be it completed pages, pencils, or even just layouts. But the first half of it, the pacing of it has already been done. And it'll probably run in Dark Nebula's issues uh, 14, 15, 16. Nice. Good work. Yeah. Mm. All right. Yeah. And, and as for the Reverie Mob... Um, there are a couple of projects I'm looking forward to. I was going to say, like working with them, it's a blank canvas. You've got more characters to draw from. You've got a different world that you can incorporate or integrate. Um, there could be a lot well, happening there. Exactly. Well, uh, they've got Rick McLoon, the uh, second fastest gun in the West. Yeah. I've got a Rick McLoon story in me. So for a change of pace, I'm actually going to do something other than Dark Nebula. I'm going to do a, a Western story. And if I'm going to do a Western story, I want to make it bloody stand out because let's face it, Westerns were uh, Hollywood's breadbasket from the 40s through to the 60s and even 70s. I, I, I just want to do a story that doesn't seem to fall in with, every, with all of that, yet is a reminder of all of that. And that's as cryptic as I'm going to be. Um, plus with um, uh, the character of Torn, there's going to be a Torn Dark Nebula uh, crossover, which means I get Torn to play in Dark Nebula's sandpit. And it yeah, gets exactly. me to move some story elements forward. 
which is good. So yeah, it, it, it means that the Dark Nebula is well and truly entrenched in the the Reverie universe. So yeah. yeah. And look, any other stories that I see that I I might be able to contribute or even other other tasks that I, I like to do. I know uh, Gary Della um, sent me the Rick McLoons and said, look, could you go through these and tell me if there's any typos or anything that we need to pick up on? Boy, big mistake. I just I literally sent him a laundry list of, um, <laughs> but it was, it's only to better the yeah. overall project. And, yeah. uh, and so, you know, that way, People can't turn around and go, oh, you did this, but you meant that. Well, they won't be able to after I was done. <laughs> I've got a very useless superpower. It is I, I zone in on errors. Yeah. I, I am every writer's worst nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I'm very old school. No, that's yeah. great. All right, Ted, I'm going to wrap it up. But um, Thanks so much for the chat. No worries. And I'll bet, I'll bet you were kicking yourself that you missed out on that graphic novel at um, Yarraville the other day. You know, I literally, I, I was literally buying from the guy who bought it off for 20 bucks and he stood next wow. to me, friend deal. And that's a wrap. We'd seriously love your feedback on the episode, whether it's on Facebook, Instagram, or on the podcast channels. Give us a yell. Tell us what you think. If you liked it enough, subscribe, follow us, and we'll keep pumping them up. As always, we'll leave you with local legends, Torrential Thrill and their song, Mars. Enjoy. Enjoy.